T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And welcome to the Back Brief Special Edition. It is the uh, the voting edition. It is the electoral edition. It's the presidential edition. Whatever the fuck that actually means. Uh, joining me today, I've got the uh, amazing Jack Murphy. I have the awesome Phil Briggs. He's shooting finger guns. Um, so I, I have assembled this this superhero group of um of veterans because i want to talk a little bit about what with this election i want to talk a little bit about uh how this whole thing is gone uh, i voted i voted last week i did the early ballots thing and i gotta tell you i, I put on my facebook post i said uh i feel like a kid picking a switch from the tree to get beat with I wasn't sure <laughs> If anybody understood or, or felt the same way, but um, I felt bad. I felt like a depression after I voted. I I sat in my house and I felt like, like what have I what have I done? Um, so to help me <laughs> to help me get through my feelings here, uh, I brought Jack and Phil in here. Jack, Phil, um, help me through this, man. Help me through this. What oh, what am I feeling? Phil? It, uh, or uh, it's like I was telling the two of you guys the other day. It's like you know if if there's a, a comic book anagram to all of this, it's like you know you're Batman, you're fighting the supervillain, and you run out of you know you're flying around the Batwing, you've run out of bombs and lasers and cool gadgets, you've got nothing left, and the only thing you can do is crash the Batwing into the bad guy in a suicide mission, and so you talk into the radio and you say you whisper goodbye Alfred and then you click off and go and you just go into your dive and you just do what you got to do Phil yeah um are, are we are we are we nose diving is that what we're doing well okay look I'm gonna help you feel better about this because really um your vote doesn't matter do you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, look, as much as I want to make that a punchline, um, you know, Rod, you and I were talking about this, and I don't know if this is the appropriate form to bring it up. It's not anything to do with your skin color or your zip code. It's the fact that the way our system works is screwed up. And we have for uh, over 100 years, 150 years now, just been hitting the snooze bar on how jacked up the electoral college system is. And... Uh, you and I were talking earlier about a podcast I heard, uh, New York Times, uh, The Daily, and they went through the whole history of what the Electoral College is. And at its core, 
everyone's like it was invented to help small states compete with bigger states because they got more people and we don't want the federal government telling little states what to do. No, it's nothing about that. It was invented in the 1780s by dudes that thought you were too stupid to know who a national candidate was because they were like, how will a man in South Carolina know who is coming from Philadelphia? I mean, it was like, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have TV. Didn't even have radio. I like so that the electoral college was made by old ass white men so that we could figure out a system for the intelligent, the grownups who could actually read and write to maybe pick an appropriate leader of our country and our destiny. But by not revising it for over 200 years, we have hosed ourselves. And now your vote really doesn't mean anything if your team doesn't win your state. So I, I, I'll be honest with you. I was a little worried how you were going to start that sentence off when it began with, um, it's not really about their skin color. I was like, oh, Jesus, here we go. Um, we're all losing our jobs. It's over. Uh, nope. Thanks, folks. That was It was great talking to you. This is it. Um, but you've got a point. That's a really good point. I mean, the Electoral College takes some power out of the people. Um, Jack. You've uh, you fought for the country. Electoral college does it matter? It did. Am I okay? Should I feel okay with what I did? Well, I mean, there's problems with it, but I mean, the electoral college is also designed to balance out rural versus urban elite interests. Um, and and you know, Phil's right that it was you know elites at that time in the 1700s who designed that system. Um, there are other systems. We could go to a popular vote. We could go to, you know, there are parliamentary systems that, uh, that um, you know, are common in Europe. Uh, they all have their share of difficulties. And there is a lot to be said for our federal system um, and our executive system. Um, I think there are things that we can get done as an American government that probably countries in Europe wish they could get done, but they're an even more gridlock than we are. Um, and they're even more fragile than we are. So it's a difficult balancing act, you know, and, and, you know, as many have said, it's a, it's a democratic experiment. I think what, where my heartache came from was I wasn't terribly thrilled about either side. Uh, I had two choices. Let's be honest. I had two choices. There was some lady on the ballot. I was like, I have no idea who you are. Uh, I should have voted for her. Not to think about it. I should have, I, I felt pushed up against the corner. They pushed baby into a corner. Um, and I wasn't sure what to do. I was scared. I just kind of reacted. I was like, ah, and then I ran away. Um, I know a lot of people are very diehard about their guy. They're like, this dude is the dude. I felt a little like an accomplice to a crime. I walked out of there. I was like, did yeah, it's I, not a good feeling. Did I just help fuck over our country? Like, did I vote for the wrong guy? Um, I, I don't know. Have you guys voted? Am I the only one with yeah. voters guilt? No, I, I voted on Saturday. Um, I, don't, I don't feel any guilt over it. It's just a pragmatic decision that, you know, I, and I, yeah, I, I think you're right. And that's probably why I, uh, in some elections, I have not voted because of that bad feeling that you mentioned there, Rod. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's just a pragmatic decision. I, I don't like any politician. I don't like any of these people. They don't represent me. My, my uh, beliefs are not represented by them. And I have no expectation that those beliefs ever will be represented by <laughs> our, our, uh, our government, uh, or at least the politicians in our government, in Congress and, and in the White House. Um, so I just had to make a decision, you know, and for, for me, um, unfortunately, I was not able to vote for somebody who I really believe in. 
I was just having to vote because I think there's one crazy person that I need to get out of the White House. And, and that was how I made my decision. Um, I wouldn't and be that is a, that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a bad decision. It's, uh, I don't want to say it's a bad decision, but it's not, it's not like something I'm excited about. And I mean, I, I don't think anyone was really excited to go out and vote for Biden. Um, they're voting against Trump for the most part. Yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that a lot that it's not really you're voting for Biden. You're just voting against Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I noticed when I was at the polls, um, was the veterans. So first of all, I thought I, I was under the impression that you couldn't, if you're running for office, you couldn't be hanging around the polls. Uh, I thought that was like some type of like law against that, but apparently you can. So I'm in Manassas. I go to the courthouse. I'm about to go vote. And uh, these people just come flooding up to me like, did you know, and I, I think one of them was like trying to sell me on uh, Tupperware, one of them, I don't even know what, are, what the hell these guys were doing. There were so many people, they were like, vote for me, buy this, buy that. And I was like, uh, sure. I, I think I walked away with a subscription of Sports Illustrated. But <laughs> at the end of it, this guy comes up to me. He, this is the way, this was his pitch. He goes, um, my name is Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel so-and-so retired. Uh, four tours in Iraq, three tours in Afghanistan, uh, and I did this and that. He he read me his OERs, uh, his DD-214, and then he says, I'm running for this. Vote for me. And I, I'm, I'm wondering, did that matter? Like, why? I, I get it. You're leading with your veteran foot, but does being a veteran mean you're a more apt a leader that you're going to be able to run a public office better than your civilian counterpart. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Phil Briggs? Well, I'll say that, you know, we've seen this only with different types of things in the last election when everybody was like, well, I'm going to vote for Trump because he knows how to run a business. But running the government is, is not always like running a business. And I was talking to my neighbor about this and they're like, yeah, well, what about GDP, man? It's through the roof. And I'm like, well, it couldn't help but grow considering we just about, you know, froze the engine with all of this COVID nonsense. It came to a halt. You can only go up. And second of all, there's a difference between GDP and GNP. American companies that make things overseas and then sell them to us in Walmart and come from China contribute to the GDP. But that doesn't mean they were made in America and that more American jobs were actually created. And I bring up that weird, technical, annoying example to point out the fact that, like, when veterans get up there and they're like, well, I can lead because I've led men in battle. It doesn't mean you know the nuanced parts of, one, making a law, of, two, what is really good economically for your constituency, three, pork barrel politics, how to bring the money from the federal nipple home. I mean, like, there's a lot of layers in knowing how to be an effective legislator. And just because you have stars and bars doesn't mean that you know jack crap about how to do that effectively. And we get lost in that because we want to elect a buddy. We want to elect a superhero. We want to elect a, a magazine cover model. We don't want to elect somebody that just freaking knows shit that's relevant. And what's crazy to me is you always think about this like, if you had to vote for your airplane pilot, your airline pilot, God, Kim Kardashian could probably get 10 times the votes, but the bitch doesn't know how to fly a plane. Or does she? Um, I mean, right? I, I and mean, I don't mean to be mean, no. but in, in all fairness, you have to elect qualifications. And, and it's sad that 
even the vets fall guilty of this. Sometimes we run on just the fact we are good people. And a guy I have a lot of respect for that did this the right way is uh, Navy SEAL Dan Crenshaw, who ran for office, but only after he went to like Harvard or only after he really educated himself and learned constitutional law and learned a lot. He didn't just go in because he's a SEAL. Yes. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you on almost everything. I, I think my, my, my hang up is, and I think you kind of hit it on actually uh, a little bit anyways, we want to elect a buddy. We want to elect somebody that I know. And I feel like these guys are, they're riding their veteran, you know, wave. They're riding this, their, their reputation, their rank. I'm a, I'm a Lieutenant Colonel. You used to follow Lieutenant Colonels. You should follow me now because I'm familiar. I'm your buddy. I'm your, I'm your vet. Um, but I also know a lot of vets that are shitbags. Um, and that doesn't mean I want them running the country, but the other part to that is I see a lot of people from the special forces community coming into politics. Um, and they're, they're using that. Like I was a special force. I was a Navy seal. I was a green beret. I was this, I was that, um, Jack, you were, were we, we, you know, I had talked about the politization, the politicization of the veterans, but, uh, also the special forces community with this election season were you how how did you feel about seeing some of these guys come out writing that their their tabs or writing their tridents um that work for you not work for you what are you, what are your thoughts man yeah i it's not surprising i mean i think we've seen it and i think we're going to see more of it um the military is one of the institutions of government that is just widely respected all across the country and because of that, there are a lot of people who are going to want to ride that wave. Um, it's just like attaching yourself to something else. And any other thing that people widely respect, be it religion or whatever else, you know. Um, so, yeah, people are going to try to ride that wave. Um, but I, I'd, I'd agree with Phil, you know, being a former special forces soldier or whatever the case may be, that's a great start point. Um, I, I think military service is a great qualification, one, it, one qualification for uh, holding elected office, um, somebody who serves, somebody who saw combat, who understands the reality of these things. It's not just something that's theoretical, um, but it, it has to be one qualification amongst many others. And the question, of course, is what else have you done since you left the military? What have you been doing with yourself? What are your other beliefs? What are they based on? What I see with a lot of my peer group is um, a lot of these guys, just as I think both of you commented, they try to take that template, that military mindset, and apply that to everything in politics, everything in foreign policy. And no, the world doesn't actually work that way. Uh, when you're a soldier, every problem looks like a nail and you're a hammer, right? Um, but there are all sorts of other options out there, other ways we can deal with problems, be they economic, diplomatic, there are all these different tools we have, and the military is just one of those tools. Um, so I, I think that uh, some of my peers have a sort of myopic view of the world in a lot of ways, that they see it through the lens of war and aren't able to kind of broaden their horizons beyond that. I, I think that there's also this, this idea that um, when, you, when, you, when you launch, when you uh, step out with your veteran foot forward, the civilians are going to believe that your rank means something, uh, that your experience has like far more 
uh, value than what it really might have. Uh, we have a lot of veterans that we're entering this weird age now where uh, there are veterans leaving the service that haven't deployed. There are some guys that have no combat experience. They, they did five, six years in the military. Uh, they just never went anywhere because the wars have kind of winded down and folks are already on their slots and you could have gotten cut through. I wonder if the next phase of this isn't going to be, uh, I'm a veteran, I'm running against you two, and it's like, I should be, I, I, I'm, I'm a better candidate than Mr. Briggs down here because I deployed to Afghanistan. I've seen combat. Uh, Briggs was on a Navy ship. He never saw anything. You know, and it, it somehow this makes me a better candidate for city council. Um, it, is that where we're going? Is that the next phase of this madness? Because it feels like there's no slowing this veteran thing down. Well, I think that probably where it's going and what we're already seeing is there are going to be retired military officers for the left and retired military officers for the right. And they're both going to try to trade up on that credibility. And one of the things, you know, as horrendous uh, a website as it is, one of the interesting things about Twitter is that people inadvertently reveal their personalities on it. And you can see all of these former colonels and generals also on Facebook. And a lot of these people are batshit crazy. Like Looney Tunes, how were you ever in charge of troops crazy with a capital C? And uh, I mean, being a retired general or a colonel, I mean, it is in no shape or form an automatic qualification to hold public office. I mean, some of these people should be institutionalized. They're so out of their mind. Wasn't there one of them, who, a retired general who like shot around next to an Iraqi's head? couple of years ago back in the when the war started um got away with it like apparently a bunch of people were like uh, oh he's fine it's, it's okay it was a, it was kind of a i don't want to say it was a war crime but i mean it's definitely illegal to do that um and i think this person how has this has a successful uh political career um we're reaching this point where veterans are something of a commodity everybody's looking at the veteran community going hey um vote for me vote for me i'm i'm good for the community i'm good for veterans i'm good for this i'm good for that um are they I, I, did you feel like the politicians in your community even the national ones you know or are trump biden's um did you feel like they were kind of going out of the way to pull you in as a as a vote as a vet vote yeah i'll, I'll take that one ron um I first want to add to what Jack said, and I think that it kind of is related to your question. Uh, you know, do I feel like I'm being pulled uh, to vote for a veteran because I am one? And I think veterans, especially the the officer brand that Jack just described, the lieutenant colonels of the 04s, 05s, 06s, these guys get out and they're like, yeah, vote for me because I have all these stars and bars. And it's quickly falling into the trap of what we saw with the 1700s almost old, educated white dudes that have all these opinions because they went to West Point and they have this education, but their education is so limited. And so then you, I think I want somebody more genuine to be my representative that is a veteran. But then I've got my choice between like from specialist to Sergeant First Class or, you know, even E7, E8, E9. And I'm not certain they know enough 
about the nuances of how a bill becomes a law. They just know that they were hard chargers. And some of my chiefs, my master chiefs, um, command sergeant majors, you guys know what I'm talking about. Those guys are salt of the earth. But at the same time, they might not be the smartest guy for that job. So really what we need to get pulled towards is a veteran. And I I can't say what Eisenhower was like because you know none of us are that old, but like a leader that understood both inside the Beltway politics, understood how the freaking constitution set up and then one that can actually talk to Joe Grunt. Like a combination between Patton, Eisenhower, and, uh, you know, um, Larry the Cable Guy. And I don't know how you find that thing, but it, one qualification of vet status doesn't do it alone. And what we're seeing, I think, sadly, are all these former officers, you know, who have forgotten what it's like to crap in a wag bag or not have their coffee in China. I mean, well, they- b- beyond beyond even that, Phil, I just add, if you're an officer or an NCO to a large extent as well, if you spent 20 or 30 years in the military, you actually know very little about what's going on in this country and what that experience is like to have to worry about paying your rent. Um, you know, if you're in the military, yep. your kids are all enrolled in TRICARE. They all have health insurance. Mm-hmm. Your wife has a place to live. I mean, she has health care. She's taken care of. Um, your family is good to go. You, you can have on-post housing. I mean, there are all of these things. I mean, as, as rough as military life is on families, the military does take care of you in a lot of ways that people in mainstream society are just not taking care of. Yeah. I, you know, Super good points. You know, I, I couldn't agree with that more because I remember specifically when I first got out, um, I didn't know how to make a doctor's appointment. I mean, that's no bullshit. Like I, I've been on tri, I'd been on Tricare my entire adult life. You know, I got out of high school, went to the army. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years in there, and then I get out, and uh, I gotta make a doctor's appointment. And I'm like, how do you civilians do that? Like, I would just call Tricare and be like, give me an appointment at at the TMC, and I'm there. Um, now I have to get a referral. Like, what the. <laughs> fuck as a referral real i mean like i never really had to deal with that it was just army shit um hey real quick true story rod told me about that day you literally went into the doctor's office and you pressed your rash against the glass at the woman answering the phone and you got kicked out of the lobby and they were like sir you need to put that away and i it was it was on my chest i'm like love me uh no it was it was weird you know what this is have you ever seen one of these looks like a third nipple (laughs) Now, I do want to ask you, you brought up something interesting to me, uh, and, and it was your, your reference to Larry the Cable Guy. You said that we need a touch of Larry the Cable Guy. Um, I don't know. Do First of all, my, my question to you, too, is how important is it for your candidate to be a veteran, to have that experience? Is it important to you? The other part to that is, at what point do we have too much Larry the Cable Guy? At what point do we do we want? And I hate to say it, like Phil, you've said it a couple of times. You know, rich uh, or or you know, intellectual or rich, uh, educated white guy with like you know, Harvard and Yale. Uh, we had President Obama, uh, educated African American guy. Uh, you know, probably the most controversial president we've ever had. Um, and, you know, history still is not done writing its its perspective on him. 
do we want an everyday person? Do we want a, a, a Joe six pack as the president? Or do we, do we want a guy from Harvard or Yale? Uh, so I, you know, I'm going to go some bad, I'm doing bad journalism here. I'm asking a compound question. <laughs> uh, whoever wants to take that, take it away. Well, I mean, again, I think that being a veteran is a, qualif a qualifier amongst others, and it's one thing I would be interested in and I would look for, but it's not the only thing by any means. Uh, as far as, I mean, I think Phil's right that, yeah, people do want to see a little bit of Larry the Cable Guy in their candidate. They want to see some blue-collar relatability. Um, we didn't see that in Hillary Clinton. Um, you kind of, maybe a little bit in Biden, but it's still kind of hard to see it there. Um, Obama, I think he was also too cool for a lot of people. He was too even-handed. He was too, maybe too educated. Um, people don't like that uh, to a certain extent. They want to see a candidate who reflects their own emotional inadequacies because it validates them. Like they want to see a candidate that's going to throw some temper tantrums. And uh, I mean, you can say what you will about Donald Trump. People compare him. They say he's like your drunk uncle at Thanksgiving. Like, yeah, but we all know that drunk uncle at Thanksgiving. We all know that guy. We all have that friend or relative who's just a total loudmouth, says whatever he wants to say, when he wants to say it, has no impulse control whatsoever. Um, and, and so it makes him relatable. And, and, you, and people even feel like they can trust it because everything is just like kind of on the surface. You know, there's nothing submerged underneath it. You know, there's not some sort of like hidden intellect behind the scenes. <laughs> Hidden intellect. I, I like that. I like Phil, that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that as much as we need the person to be qualified to fly the plane, it's nice when the pilot can talk to every passenger on there yeah. as if he's their friend and communicate that to them. And that is an interesting strain or an interesting qualification that has come about in modern politics you know you didn't need that in the 70s mm -hmm. in the 60s it was unheard of in the 50s we didn't have the technology to even know what these people were really like but now because we can see them hear them uh, they're everywhere the internet the facebook twitter i mean like they communicate on so many layers that we do need that connectability i think for a real i don't want to say savior president but for somebody that the nation can come together on all sides, left, right, black, white, green, blue, purple. The, the person that's going to unite the whole thing and put a Band-Aid on what's been a real wound of a year is going to be that one that understands college-level thinking but can dumb it down to just, you know, you, me, um, you know, Jack. But is, Maybe not that, that is that even on the ballot? Is that option even available to us right now? Because, I, I mean... I didn't feel really strong. I gotta watch my word. Watch my words here. Uh, I, I didn't feel really strong either way. Uh, you know, I, I would have been really excited to vote for Andrew Yang. I, I thought he was a younger guy who had some new ideas, and he had something of a vision for this country. Um, but you know, instead, these parties they keep putting these boomers in front of us. Uh, these legacy guys, like they just will not relinquish power. They will not go away. You know, my neighbor told me the other day that the next Kennedy or the next unifying president probably is just being born right now. And I kind of thought that was interesting because I look at the way of my kids who are in like fourth grade, 
and younger are relating to each other mm -hmm. and you know granted they're children so they've got the beauty of innocence and the fact that like the world hasn't shaped them and pissed them off and made them jaded yet but they are experiencing a mixed neutral homogenized like like they play together yeah. really well and there's a mm -hmm. lot less judginess and a lot less you know um stuff going on that you and i dealt with coming up so i think maybe that leader is there he just hasn't not hit puberty yet but okay so if that's true let's let's assume that this kid is maybe he's five seven now or maybe he's just being born either way this kid is gonna if he is the next kennedy uh he's gonna unify the country and it's gonna be you know dope and all that stuff uh doesn't this mean this kid's gonna grow up in tiktok and instagram um, will he even have a shot at politics when, you know, what he said when he was 12 uh, will be brought back in a court of public opinion to, uh, you know, crucify him on? You know, I, I do wonder, though, if by the time that his generation is old enough to vote, people might maybe less judgmental about that. Um, they might That's be less be judge. Us. Yeah. They, they might be less judgmental about, you know, okay, this, this young woman's running for office. When she was 15, she showed her breasts on a social media or, or sent nudes to her boyfriend and it got leaked. We might be less judgmental about that because so many people will have grown up in that same environment and have, have friends or they themselves who experience the same sort of thing. I wonder about that because, you know, I've got teenagers and that's a big thing for us is like, you know, social media discipline. Guys, be very careful what you put out there because yeah. you just don't know what's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Um, I, I do want to ask you both another question here, and uh, I, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of conspiracy, but I am very curious to know what do you think is going to happen uh, come election night? I'm seeing a lot of fear out there. Uh, yeah. the, the stores in D.C., they're boarding up the windows. Um, I've installed two gun turrets. Um, I'm freaked out. I'm scared. I'm terrified. <laughs> the world's going to end on November 3rd. Uh, Jack, Phil, take us to your predictions. Phil, you want to go first? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because I want to end with Jack. I want to find out why he's hoarding all, like, all his weapons <laughs> and ammo up there in upstate New York. I need an exit strategy, Jack. Um, gosh, Rod, when you and I were just ripping this morning on this, um, I, I, I agreed that it's not going to be eruption on Wednesday, the day after the election. It's going to be a week later and they're still counting and they're still unpacking and they're now arguing over the validity of some and it gives so much more oxygen to the fire over the course of the next seven days that it's just going to be ugly. And I agree with you that this is probably not going to be settled by votes. Uh, the Electoral College will only serve as a pain in the ass in this one because I think it's going to come down to the Supreme Court and the validity of these batches of returns. And it's going to, if anything, prove that we need to, again, look at the Constitution and our democracy as a moldable, shapeable, living thing that needs to evolve. And the fact that we're not taking the popular vote and voting at Walmarts and things that look like ATM machines tied to our driver's licenses that we get from birth, until that shit happens, it's all going to be arguable. And this election especially, I think, will be so arguable that 
the people that boarded their windows up for November 3rd and 4th better keep them up through the 11th because stuff's going to get ugly. And if it doesn't go the right way, I do think we'll see rioting and looting in places where there is uncertainty about the vote counts. And I can't tell you if that's going to be urban or rural. I can't tell you if it's going to, you know, if Topeka, Kansas is going to freak out because their county seemed to get miscounted or wronged in some way, but um, it's going to be ugly. And I think no matter who wins, it's going to take a court decision. And I think, I think surprisingly, the way the Electoral College runs now, I think Trump takes it. Yeah, I think right now uh, we're looking at the situation. I mean, there's a lot of focus on Pennsylvania, um, quite a bit of focus on Texas and Florida. Um, the, the big one, you know, is going to be Pennsylvania um, for Biden. If he loses Pennsylvania, he's probably going to lose the election. Right now, he's about five points ahead, I think, there. Um, Texas is very interesting. It might flip. It might go blue. Um, and that'll be very interesting to see if that happens. Um, Thanks, Joe so Logan. Right now, I mean, I think Biden is predicted to win. Um, uh, but, of course, I watched those same polls in 2016 and watched them be completely wrong. Yep. like dismally wrong where they are predicting like 95% Hillary win. And then by like, you know, three in the afternoon, the day of it flipped to like 85% Trump win. So, and th I think that's got a lot of people nervous as well about what's really going on behind the scenes. I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned the, the five point lead in Pennsylvania. Can we believe anything? Because we, the world was sure they were sure mm -hmm. that Hillary was going to win uh, that election, it was like, oh, she's ahead by 10 points, 5 points, 4 points, whatever. Election night, decision comes in. Those balloons stayed in the ceiling. Uh, I think they're still in the ceiling. I, I I don't know how much credibility we can give to any of these yeah. polls. Yeah, they're, they're predictive. You shouldn't give them too much credibility. You know, you should, you should go out and, and vote for who you want to vote for and not necessarily think that, you know, the matter, matter is settled. Um, I think the big thing about 2016 to take away from it, not to put a, a silver linings on anything or whatever, but I mean, is that these are real elections. They're not rigged. <laughs> you know, you go in and, and you know, you can yeah. have a major upset um, because people come out and vote for somebody who they believe in. And, uh, and that's what we saw happen in 2016. And Donald Trump won by a, a large enough margin mm -hmm. in the electoral college, like, it was a decisive victory for him. There's no question about that. And I know there's people who still fight about it to this day and Russian interference. Like, no, he, he won the election. You know, it's, it's time to accept that reality and, and get on with the, with the next thing. Uh, I, I do think, I think Biden's probably going to win, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than some people think. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Phil's not necessarily wrong in what he's saying. I think it's going to be really close. But but to get to Phil's question, um, and I think the really important question here is, uh, do we panic? It when when oh. do we panic? When when can I put on my football gear with the spikes on it? Uh, when are we going to enter the Mad Max future that I've been promised on several occasions? Is this it? Is this is this when it goes down? I know the 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 media, uh, our politicians, our fictional novels, television shows, movies—they all promise us a catastrophe every day. 
Uh, even go growing up in the public school system, I was promised that there's a hole in the ozone layer that was going to kill all of us, and, and that failed to materialize. Um, so people are burned out on all of that. Um, definitely do not panic. That stuff becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes real because we're dumb enough to believe it. Um, you know, the, the country will emerge on the other side of this thing one way or the other, just like it did in 2016. And we'll, like, we will survive it, but cooler heads will prevail. I mean, don't go out into the streets and do something silly. Just don't do it. You, you end up, things end up so much worse than they have to be. And I, I, I think I want to reiterate what you're saying. Don't go into the streets. Don't do stupid shit, especially if you're a veteran, especially if you're a service member. For the love of God, this is not the this is not the moment where you're going to rise up and join the rebellion. Um, this is not how it works. Please it's fantasies, do man. It's, it's fantasies. fantasies. And there, there's a lot of these people out there who, you know, they're like warping the civil war out there on our streets. And I think a lot of them have not seen what real ground combat looks like. And I do worry that they're going to start shooting at each other one of these days. That Because both the left-wing guys and the, and the right-wing guys are arming up. And they're going to these protests with loaded weapons. And I fear, yeah, a Boston massacre type event that precipitates something much larger. And yeah, that, that does concern me and it worries me. I'm and, surprised um, that hasn't happened already. I yeah, mean, it's super, all I, I'm super surprised that with all these guns uh, that have been showing, all these guys that are showing up to these rallies with their rifles. Look, I'm a, I'm a proud gun owner myself, uh, but you're not going to see me going to a political rally, first of all. Wouldn't go to a political rally ever. <laughs> uh, secondly, would not show up with my rifle sling across my chest, uh, you know, and my Hawaiian shirt. That's not a good look for anybody. But I think that to Jack's point, all it takes is one or two idiots to open fire on each other. Yep. And then you've got a massacre. And we almost saw that with this co- – uh, the the kid uh, – Rittenhouse, right? Is that his name? Rittenhouse, the kid that yeah. shot that? That could have turned out way worse than what it did. Um, I worry about stuff like that. Man, it, it starts off just like that under uh, nebulous circumstances. We saw it with Euromaiden in Kiev, Ukraine. We saw it in Dara, Syria. Um, these, these massive events have small sparks, and I don't mean to sound like alarmist or anything like that, but like you think that you're going to start some sort of glorious revolution. Once you open up that door, you don't know what's going to come out. You really don't. None of us do. None of us can predict how that's going to play out. Um, I just know that it, it'll be ugly. Haven't seen civil wars in, in a number of different countries. It's not pretty. You know, I, I, do, I can say this, Rod, that yeah. I think is probably kind of like the fail safe with, with, with most Americans is that to both your guys' points, there are plenty of dudes that are, you know, right now got their tactical gear and they're ready to serve on meal team six and they show up at like all these events and, and yeah, a car backfiring at one of those events could trigger the worst case scenario. Like something that we haven't seen since, you know, the massive shooter incident in Vegas with like the concert, you know, and the, and like people running for their lives. Mm-hmm. Yes, it could happen. But I'd say among the, you know, the fake military or the vet bro wannabe guys that gear up and take their guns everywhere and want to go do that. It's still a smaller percentage. I think apathy is in our DNA as Americans to like, as long as I got cable, as long as I got, I can order a pizza, as long as I got beer in the fridge and 
you know, some smokes, I'm good. And I think that that kind of like attitude, that sort of apathy where we don't even remember who won the Super Bowl three days later or couldn't tell you states and capitals of more than the state they live in. I mean, we're lazy bastards. And I think it's kind of a benefit. And I'm, I'm hoping, at least my prediction, is that like as fanatically crazy as some will get, they're still the minority because most of us just want to go home, you know, eat some wings, drink some beer, and, you know, hang with our lady. Wings sound good. Wings sound great. My only problem here is, you know, I've got some, uh, I've, I have a, a lot of great friends here in the Manassas area, and some of them are Venezuelan, some of them are Bolivian, uh, some of them are Chilean. And I've had some Venezuelan friends of mine tell me, in no uncertain terms, this is how it began. They're, they're like, they're looking at the landscape and they're like, I've seen this, I've seen this movie before. Um, extremists on the left, extremists on the right, elections, and somebody blows a gasket. Somebody refuses to go down and it creates this, this, I, this spark. And the problem I find, and this is my only, this is my personal opinion. I think the problem is that the apathy that Phil just described is what these sides are counting on. Your extremist left or extreme, extremist right, they want you to sit home and drink your beer and think, ah, the cops got it, eh, the military will have it. When in fact, nobody's got any control. It's just gonna be these small pockets of assholes that fuck it all up for everyone else. And then at the end of the day, they're chopping down your your electrical poles and they're, you're, you know, you no longer have steady electricity. You don't have the game. You don't have your chicken wings. Now you're sitting there like, I got to choose a side, son of a bitch. Uh, you know. Yeah, th those are the those are the accelerationists. They uh, are deliberately are trying to accelerate what they see as an in inevitable civil war in the United States. And they, it's no particular political ideology. There are people on both sides who want to do that. And exactly like you described, Rod, they hate people like us because we're sort of like moderates. You know, we're, we're not going to go wave guns in people's faces. So they want us to have to choose a side. And they will do all sorts of insane things to try to force that into occurring. Well, at the end of the day, folks, vote. I don't care who you vote for. Vote or left. don't. Vote left, vote right. I don't know. Or don't, I guess. Phil's just given up. <laughs> His apathy knows no boundaries um, now. He's unless like, you live in Pennsylvania, Texas, or Florida, you're basically well, deciding. You know, the states decide who's the next president. Who the, the, the next president is. So the, th the thing is, I would have probably agreed with Phil up until not so long ago. I, I think I was very cynical about it. And I, I was very much, uh, you know, tongue in cheek say, you know, look, the Illuminati has chosen our president for us. It doesn't really matter who you vote for. But I, I really do think 2016 showed us that, no, these are actually like legit real elections. Like, actually, your vote does matter for something. If you haven't had a chance... <laughs> uh, I highly recommend folks go listen to Radio Lab. If you don't know what Radio Lab is, uh, they're an amazing podcast. Uh, they do some great uh, work on science and social uh, engineering, and they talk a lot about what makes things tick. That's the whole premise of the show is how does this work really? And they did an amazing episode where they, they took a bunch of brainiacs, put them in a room, and said, okay, some of you are left, some of you are right. 
if the right wins, let's say with a large margin and then a narrow margin, what will what will you do? What will the left do? Um, and, and they pose this these a couple of, of uh, scenarios out to left, right, and some moderates, and they said, what are, what's going to happen? And almost every single one of these guys said, this goes to the Supreme Court. And then the other guy, whether left or right, the other guy is going to tell his constituents, protest. Go to the, take you to the streets. Don't be violent. Wink, wink. Um, whatever that <laughs> might be. And it, it's a scary scenario that they painted. But there's, like, to Jack's point, we do come out on the other end, but it feels like things aren't going to be the same after this. Like there's something about this election that is going to change the way we do business in America. I, I just don't know what that will be. Well, look at what's, what's been published every day for the last four years is just amping people up and amping people up and just twisting that nail. Um, yeah, of course pe people are like, border I think like as a society, we're like, experiencing nationwide mental illness like people are not thinking straight yeah yeah and i think the takeaway that will change everything is hopefully this will do what happened in 1968 i think it was when they actually looked at getting rid of the electoral college for real and mind you the only reason it didn't pass after this senator from indiana i think it was brought it to the floor was because it got filibustered by guys that were legit segregationists so if that's not an if that's not a reason that we get rid of this electoral college thing for once and for all, I don't think so much who gets to be president is as big a deal as if this makes the nation realize we are screaming for fundamental change in the process. That's what I'm hoping the big takeaway is. Well, the next back brief podcast will be held from my bunker here in Manassas. We've got food, we've got ammo, we've got landmines, we have some illegal things. It's going to be great, folks. Welcome to the apocalypse. We'll be fighting for fresh water. Um, <laughs> toilet uh, paper. Toilet paper. Mutated dogs because of the radioactivity. It's going to be a glorious uh, fallout landscape. This is what we've all been wanted. We, we've been promised zombies. We didn't get zombies. We got COVID. I feel like we got shortchanged. We asked for zombies. We got fucking COVID. Now we're asking for uh, a civil war. We're going to get it, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be exactly the way everybody wanted it. Right, Jack? I'm just going to play video games, and uh, when it's over, if you need somebody, <laughs> like a, a guy to come and help repopulate the earth, I'm your dude. I got you, bro. Oh, my God. We do not need more Murphy genetics in the world. Uh, Phil. Phil Briggs, where can we find out more about you, sir? CBS Ion Veterans every week. Check out ConnectingVets.com on Friday. It's in the audio section of the website. And uh, actually this weekend, we're going to talk with uh, the guys from Vote Vets about who some of the big vet winners were in this year's election. So uh, again, ConnectingVets.com or just Google CBS Ion Veterans uh, once a week. Awesome. Mr. Briggs, thank you so much. Mr. Murphy, uh, what's up with you, man? I hear you've got a little thing. You got some side projects going on. Little, little show you do. Yeah, man. I uh, I do a weekly live streamed show on YouTube. We also turn it into a podcast. It's called the Team House with uh, my co-host Dave Park, and we interview veterans of the special operations community and the intelligence community. Um, this week we're having Mark Polymeropoulos. Uh, who's a, I believe a 28 year veteran of the CIA. Um, 
going to have all kinds of great stories to talk about. I can't wait to have me and Jack on your show. Uh, we are not special operations. Uh, we are. We'll talk about movies that we really liked that had special operations dudes in it. Uh, Jason Bourne stuff. I mean, that'll be fun, right? Bill? I mean, yes, I, I would do that in a minute. Yeah, we dude. Got I'd, I'd have I'd have you guys on if we could do uh, in studio um, it, with Brewskis. Let's go to New York. What we should do is go to New York election night and then fight our way out. <laughs> folks um in all seriousness uh you know it, it is that time of year if you want to vote vote if you don't want to vote don't vote do, exercise your freedom as an american citizen do whatever it is that your heart tells you to do but from everybody at connecting vets uh please be safe be smart be conscious be conscious about what you're doing um please encourage your friends encourage your family to keep a level head and um that's just about it that's all i've got uh if you have any comments questions concerns drop them in those little comment sections down here we'll have it down here for the youtubies and the facebookies and the instagrams whatever you like um we don't care who you vote for by the way left right don't give a shit just do something folks i'm rod rodriguez that was jack murphy that was phil briggs we are out We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.